Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to On The Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Russell. And I'm Miguel Delaney. On this edition, we're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz, who's gone to Stamford Bridge because, because of the wonderful things he does. Will Joao Felix work his magic at Chelsea? Also Mbappe and the big diss of a French legend. And talking of Stamford Bridge, the great Italian send-off for a legend of several Serie A clubs. Gentlemen, before we get into the meat of the conversation today, Gareth Bale has retired just a couple of days ago after an illustrious career. Um, To a certain extent, he will be remembered, Miguel, for, how should I put this, Wales, golf, and then Madrid. Will he not? Yeah, I mean, uh, that could be seen in a lot of the headlines. <laughs> when, of course, what you should really be remembered for was uh, not just winning five Champions League finals, but in a way that's unusual to most careers, deciding two Champions League finals. The yeah. one in 2014, uh, which was supposed to be a Ronaldo final, given it was in Lisbon, but it was really decided by Bale. And then, of course, in 2018, one of the greatest goals ever scored in the final. And yet it feels like it sums up Bale's career and especially his career abroad in that all of that kind of gets lost in colour around as you say 
that famous banner and the fact that he's viewed with some complexity in Spain. Uh, certainly, obviously, his retirement made news, but it, it didn't quite get the kind of wider discussion that we saw in England and Wales. Now, you might say that's natural because he's obviously a Welsh hero, but then given what given what we're talking about, given that the only player in in European history who's won more Champions Leagues is Francisco Gento, uh, like in other cases, Madrid would be talking about Bale as if he was one of their great heroes, but that didn't really happen because of this complicated legacy about how committed he was. And I suppose to be fair, even, even though he's got those five Champions League finals, or five, sorry, five, those five Champions League medals, uh, they weren't all as, I suppose, his, his contribution wasn't always as uh, complete as it was in 2014 <laughs> or 2018. <laughs> and, cer- and certainly, I suppose, there's questions over whether he really deserved the last one. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 is, that is true. Yeah. On, on the other hand, and um, we've got a question here from SC Dury on Instagram saying, is Bale the greatest British export ever? If we start picking the bones out of exactly who did what in various finals, I, th- I think that's quite dangerous territory because then we're like, okay, well, did uh, you know Pele didn't play past a certain point in in the 1962 World Cup? And I, I, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think anyone's saying that, and nor should they. Fair be. enough, but answer the question. I, I, I will because I think he's he's got a good shout for it, definitely. Um, I think a lot of the complicated legacy that uh, Miguel was talking about with Real Madrid is actually down to one of the most admirable things admirable things about Bale, the fact that he never dialed it in for Wales. Yeah, if, yeah. You, if you look at the, the, the start of where there started to be this animosity, certainly between um, Madrid media and Bale, it was that he went off to play what they considered a nothing game for Wales against Andorra, <laughs> and he came back with a calf injury. Which led to a series of calf injuries, and you know that that led to um, some people in Madrid uh, doubting his commitment to Madrid. Now, I would suggest if he was a Brazilian or Argentinian or an Argentinian player, no one would have asked those those questions. It's a little bit of I, I, I would say snobbery about Wales. Um, mm. the, the fact is, he is and was a, a big match player. He turned up in all those big matches. You talk about like turning those two Champions League finals, which is a significant achievement in itself. Yeah. You think of the winner in the Copa del Rey final against Barcelona, the one where he leaves the pitch and comes back on it. That is what the best players are meant to do. And funnily enough, it's a criticism that's been made of Messi and Ronaldo at various points. How much have they influenced the very biggest yeah, matches? Yeah, yeah. No one can ask that about yeah, Bale, yeah, really, yeah. can they? Yeah. Just actually, you mentioned that run against uh, Barcelona. It's probably arguably his most famous moment after the bicycle kick. Mm. But uh, I was talking to a Spanish colleague about just in, in preparation for today, just about how he was seeing that. And they, like, they pointed out and how the most common word used about Bale, certainly in his early days, and even even now from those who'd be more sympathetic, because he he has become a kind of a polemical figure, not just because of him, himself, more about almost among Madrid supporters and how they see the kind of current hierarchy although given all the recent Champions Leagues <laughs> that, that, that that debate has maybe um, has maybe shifted but the word that was used about him is extraterrestrial mm. um, because he, he had this this power level mm. uh, that was supposed to be comparable to Ronaldo Well he says he's achieved his dreams let's talk about another player fascinating player it's great comparing these great players particularly in their younger days as they're coming up uh, and Joao Felix we've heard a lot about him and we've managed to see uh, 
um, him at his best and he struggled with injuries, etc. But now he's been transferred to Chelsea. But Miguel, Chelsea, Man United and Arsenal were after his signature. And it wasn't even his signature because he's only there on loan, isn't he? How, how did Chelsea manage to usurp Man U and Arsenal, the league leaders, in getting Jao Felix? Well, the, the answer almost comes in the question in the sense that I'm not sure how much anything we're after him. Uh, a little bit like Alvaro Morata, Jao uh, Felix was offered to all of these major clubs. Uh, it had been anticipated that Arsenal might have a look given that they are looking for forwards. From what I've been told, they were never that interested. Um, and it just made more sense for Chelsea given a greater need and I suppose their, their willingness to spend right now under the new hierarchy. So I, I don't necessarily think it was actually a Chelsea were pursuing a Joe Felix in this case. I think it was just, it was an opportunity presented to them that suited all parties much more than any other, any other club. It's interesting that United were never really going to, I think, go there. Um, and they've been looking for kind of more cup price option, as we can see in Veghorst. And this is the other side of the deal, of course, that you're not signing Joe Felix, but it's a pretty expensive deal. Um so it's about nine point something million pounds in terms of a transfer. Well, there, there are there are different reports because yeah, it's it's like eleven million euros. Um, I've there are varying reports about um, how what that eleven million euros actually accounts for. Is that all? Is that all fee plus all of his wages, or is that the whole package, including their contribution to his wages? I think the devil is in the detail because that makes an absolutely and ma- then massive difference. What happens after this loan deal is over? Yes, I, I, I think. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to that and the Atletico bit in a minute. I think the question for me is how he really fits at Chelsea, because as Miguel was saying, if United and Arsenal had have been willing to push it all the way. I think he's a better fit for either of those um, because United, as we said last week, I think need a centre forward. I, I, I said, I thought United should go all the way for him. And I think he can be a very good centre forward. Is you know, he? Is yeah, he a centre forward? I, th- I, th- I think he, I think he is because yeah. he, he does that stuff like wins headers in the places you want him to. He's, he's a scorer of headed goals. He's a finisher. The fact that he can drop and make the pass, I think, you know, there are a lot of, midfielders and wide midfielders and wide forwards at United who could benefit from that as as well. I think you look at however long Gabriel Jesus is going to be out for is going to be incredibly influential for Arsenal because I, I know Eddie Nketiah is scoring the goals but he can't do the other, which is great, but he can't do the other stuff that Gabriel Jesus does. Um, João Felix could have picked up that slack because he can fill so many different roles. He's, you were saying he's like a number nine and a number 10 at the same time. He can drop into channels. He can find the pass. Whereas with Chelsea, they're just not a good team at the moment, which is a huge issue, I think. If you're looking for a a bit of stability and a bit of certainty, also, he tends to work better in a 4-4-2. They're not going to be playing a a 4-4-2. How many strikers have they actually got? They may be looking at the possibility of... um, putting Aubameyang back at Barcelona to create the space for Joao Felix. It feels to me that he is a potential catch-all offensive solution that they are saying, okay, let's see what you can do. Maybe you can conjure something for us. And Chelsea have had too many players before, and actually Kai Havertz falls into that category. Players with enormous talent who they don't really have a plan for. 
And when we're talking about him dropping and finding the pass for the players who are going past him, what Chelsea players are going past him at the moment? They've got no pace in that midfield. They're wide players. You think that you think you've got Reese James, who's not there at the moment, who would benefit from that. You've got Chilwell, who would maybe benefit from that, who's not there at the moment. I, I've I've my questions about it. Like at his best, he can contribute a lot, but how are they going to get the best out of him? Do you know we always ask for your contributions uh, by social media? So if you do like to tweet, uh, then make sure you tweet us during the course of the uh, week at Football Ramble at Dotton added bio at Andy Brassel and at Miguel Delaney. The question, Miguel from M Ricard, is: Do Felix and Havertz work? in the same team, both centre-forwards, arguably. I think it can be made work because Havertz is... So, I mean, really, they're, they're both fairly versatile. Uh, I actually wouldn't see an issue there. I think the right coach, the right structure can make it happen. Um, I think with the, the biggest issue with Felix is basically that in all his time at Atletico, he hasn't really played in a, in a role that best suits any of his abilities. And this comes down... I mean, this is something we've discussed in the, on the podcast before... Um, and it's always been a problem for João Felix where despite all that talent although there is actually some debate about that if you speak to me where one line that was put to me was that he's always been a 40 million player who's just been kind of dressed up as a 100 million pound player <laughs> um, that's a Portuguese release clause for you yeah, yes. yeah. But, but I suppose the major issue is that he's been playing I mean it's, it's amazing to think of it now but for a player I mean, with the talent he had at that age your your choice at that point is probably pretty crucial especially about the player you're going to be. And it's something that maybe we've seen, say, with, with Marcus Rashford and that at just a certain point in his career, he was playing under a series of managers who didn't really have a defined role for him. So it's meant that he was in a situation where he didn't know exactly what he's going to be and he's finally coming out of that. And similar with Joe Felix, where he went to a club where he could have been a very modern forward. It's why Pep Guardiola has previously been interested in him. But Diego Simeone has such a fixed idea of what a number nine should be. And it is essentially Diego Costa, um, mm. or, or, or at the very least, someone physical who can hold the ball up in that way, uh, who can bully. be a focal point. A bully. Yeah. Know? And I, I saw a little bit of bullying from João Felix during the World Cup. Sorry to interrupt you, Miguel. I saw a little bit of bullying in one of the matches. He has got that in him. I, I agree. He does have that in him. And th- that, to me, makes it more remarkable that Atletico and Simeone haven't brought that out of him. Because mm. he is actually someone who's he's quite a confrontational personality, as well as being able to do that number nine rough stuff. And I, I think you look at... That's what makes him so fascinating. And that's what puts the counter-argument that he can be a... 100 million player mm. in output as well as actual cost Th- that he can combine those elements I, I, f- I think it makes it makes it really interesting but Miguel's ab- absolutely right about the fact that Atletico I mean it's something they've done with players time and time again and at the back end of the Simeone period particularly the fact that they've brought in talent that could evolve their game yeah, and they haven't let that talent evolve the game. They've tried to make it fit the system, and some really good players have either taken ages to settle, like Thomas Lamar, or completely fallen short and not done it at all. And it but, becomes an enormous money drain in the end. I mean, that's why they've ended up loaning him because yeah. they have no chance of getting this money back as things stand at the moment. And unless he performs in the Premier League, there's no chance of them creating that kind of yeah. interest at the sort of level of money where they would consider it acceptable to sell him. Which always, it, was, it used to be the classic um, 
the Chelsea approach as well. If a player was underperforming, send him, and often they send him to Atletico Madrid. <laughs> for, for, for Fernando Torres, meaning Alvaro Morata. So they've got. <laughs> um, but you, I mean, in some ways, I suppose Felix as well. Um, he articulates, a, or he almost personifies a big issue with Atletico at this point point in their history, where you get the sense that so much, and from speaking to people who've worked with the club, they want to evolve as a club. But yet, obviously, so much, the, so much at least at the very top end of the club, which is where it matters, is built around Diego Simeone. So mm. there's almost this kind of tension between two eras. And I've been told multiple stories about Simeone having players bought for him, but him immediately having no interest just because they don't fit his, what his archetype is. And the level they buy at, at the moment and the level they've bought mm. at for the past three or four years that becomes ruinous yeah. doesn't it it's, it's not sustainable is it yeah. I don't think we can argue with the fact you've already alluded to uh, Miguel that João Felix did not achieve or has not achieved mm. his potential and it strikes me as remarkable that Atletico or any club would mm. pay the huge amounts of money that they've paid for João Felix and still put him in a situation where it is the manager that has the upper hand. This is this is this the, is, this, mad, is the, this is the point. I mean, they paid 127 million euros for him, and yet yeah. they've not built the team around him. Yeah. I don't think I, I'm not saying he's blameless, but it's, it's not an unreasonable mm. expectation to have the team built around you when that much money's been spent. But on the you, reason he is he he's had to leave Atletico is, and it's pretty open mm. secret, yeah. is because of Diego Simeone. This cheeky question. Um, by Twitter from Ben who replaces Diego as in Simeone at Atleti when Felix comes back in the summer well they've left themselves themselves that option open he did extend his contract before he left partly to protect his value as well if if, if they are going to go on and sell him I, I mean I, I love the Luis Enrique story and, and there has yeah. been there has been a level of interest I, I don't so what is that story um that that Luis Enrique would be the next Atletico coach if as has been suggested in Spain a lot this week Diego Simeone moves on in the summer and I feel there's a bigger chance than ever before of Diego Simeone moving on because the the the, the key players who he's always relied on the cornerstones of the club are questioning him now yeah, you know, if you're getting to a point where Coque and Griezmann and Savic and um, Jimenez are, are questioning you, and Oblak are questioning, you, you've got an issue. Yeah, because because belief in his methods, even when the football was ugly, is everything. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. And when they don't believe that, when when those players, I mean, it's, it's one thing new players not adapting to his methods, as you say, but when the old guard are thinking, well, what are we going to do here? I mean, I think you look at the squad planning, it's quite haphazard. And it's, it's funny, you were talking about the comparison with Chelsea, Miguel, at the, at, at the moment. And the squad is so poorly put together yeah. that they have, and I know a lot of people are saying they've got a, a win-win situation with Joao Felix because either he goes and inflates his value and gets sold to the Premier League for a lot of money, or the next coach, be it Luis Enrique or whoever, gets to build their team around him and they, they get him back in, in, in six months. But for now, just for now, they need another striker, at least one other striker, mm -hmm. because they have lost a first-team player. He has started all the league games so far. He, he scored in the first one against Elche, played against Barcelona in that game that were quite unlucky to lose at the weekend. So the forwards, they've, the, the strikers they've got at the moment, uh, Morata, who's Morata, um, Griezmann and Correa, 
So immediately, not only do you need at least one other striker, Griezmann can't play in the position in which he was one of the best players in yeah, the World yeah, Cup yeah. because he needs to play as a forward. That's mad, isn't because it? Of the, because of the squad construction. <laughs> and of course, they're, they're looking at Memphis Depay, who has played uh, no league games since September, a couple in the World Cup, and he's got to come in and make the physical effort that you have to make in a Simeone team. I mean... Tell me, I'm wrong for thinking that's not going to work. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it sums up, I suppose, with the Champions League situation, but or, or, but also that, that that's it. Both yeah. with Chelsea and Atletico, yeah, you know, there are doubts, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, Atletico for, well, for the best part of the last decade, they were seen as so. But even if you didn't appreciate their football, even you didn't kind of like in that sense, they were essentially a force to be respected. They were there. Yeah, exactly. You, you kind of guarantee Champions League quarter finalists almost. Whereas that's sort of gone now, and it just it feels like. It, it needs a change. The question is, if uh, Simeone goes in the summer, uh, Luis Enrique comes in, what does uh, then João Felix do? Does he go back to... I, I think he'd really, he'd really suit Luis Enrique, I have to say. But basically, he's got to play well in the Premier League to give himself options. Yeah. But that's, that's the first step, really. I mean, if he, if, he doesn't, if he doesn't play well in the Premier League, he won't have that option. He'll he'll have to go. But, back. but would his option be to choose uh, to go back to Atletico? Do you think? Well, I, I think there's some bridges to be built there. Clearly, some because... Stanford bridges. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Let's let's go on to um, a topic of I don't know how much of interest both of you have in the unraveling of the French Football Federation. Um, now that the World Cup is over, they made it to the final, but the issues that they have are pre World Cup finals, aren't they? the The president of the French Football Federation, Le Grette, has had to resign, hasn't he? Andy, do you mind telling us what the background to this is? <laughs> It's it's funny because it's been an unusual straw to break the camel's back. Um, there've been doubts about him and the way he's run the federation for a long time, and what's caused it all to blow up is the situation where he came out and was perceived perceived to have criticised Zinedine Zidane. He gave an interview last Sunday to RMC in which he was asked about um, the possibility of Zidane becoming the coach of Brazil. Obviously not going to become the coach of France now because um, Didier Deschamps has just signed a contract extension to 2026. It was widely thought, as we've discussed on here, that he would he was hanging on to hopefully, from his perspective, take on the France job after Didier Deschamps finished after, after the World Cup. That didn't happen because France overperformed against the background of, of, of what there was and Deschamps made the most of this to extend his contract. Um, and Legraia said about Zidane, Zidane to Brazil, he said, honestly, I don't care what he does. And he said, um, I've not had him on the phone and even if I had had a phone call from him, I wouldn't have taken the call. That's, that's, that's not my favourite. I wouldn't even pick up the phone to him. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the weird thing is, you can kind of see what he's doing. He's really saying, Deschamps, my guy, I'm not entertaining discussions with everyone else around the job. But as with so other, many other things that he's discussed, issues of great importance and small importance in recent years, his foot is never far from his mouth. And the fact that he had a go or was perceived to be having a go at a monument of French football, probably the most popular French player ever with, with the French public, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, I think with... C'est le gros dis... Exactly. Thank you. I think, <laughs> thank you, the old boy. Uh, I, I think when you look at some of the other stuff, some of the discussions over um, working practices, bullying, um, alleged sexual harassment at the FFF, I find it remarkable that a, a few words that are perceived to have been a bit hurtful to a, a great player, albeit a great player and great coach, the fact that that has allowed everyone else to go in, I think, is 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 a bit extraordinary. Because what we've seen in the days afterwards is um, a number of women, including um, an agent, who've come out and uh, claimed that, that they've been sexually harassed by Noel Legray, and he is he has been forced out. There's an interim president now. There was an extraordinary general meeting um, on on Wednesday, um, but of of course this leaves its traces because, firstly. There needs to be a full investigation into those working practices at the FFF, which there was already, but this clearly needs to be escalated. And how potentially he was allowed to get away with certain behaviours for, for, for so long. The other big question, it puts Didier Deschamps in a really difficult position because he signed this new contract given to him by a now discredited president. 
Now, if Didier Deschamps was just allowed to go on to his contract as was before to the end of 2024, I, I don't think there'd be any issue. But the sense that this has been pushed through by a president that has been clear that, you know, has very little respect in, in, in the French game, clearly that's something that has to do, be looked you, at as well. Do you think, Miguel, that that will affect things on on the pitch? Because we've already had a comeback on this from the current uh, French, you know, great player, uh, Kylian Mbappé, who said, look, that's bang out of order. And in my view, when I hear that, I could sort of see him maturing as a player mm. almost, to taking the lead, not just for PSG, but for the French national team, and perhaps echoing what all the other players feel. How, how will that affect the French national team going forwards to the Euros? They are still the number one European football team. Well, it kind of does show you, I mean, Mbappe pretty much is French football at the moment, isn't he? I mean, everything's going to follow with him right now. It displays his influence. And also the fact that he he is as comfortable as he feels t- immediately taking that stance on someone who was, I suppose, in terms of kind of uh, his position, the most powerful person in French football. But of course, the, the real most powerful person in French football is Kylian Mbappe. Um, if, now, it's interesting given the, so much this comes from the manager because I think if it was... A lot of other coaches, you know, it, it could spill out into one of those typical or characteristic French crises that have kind of punctuated the last 30 years. But of course, one of the great abilities of Deschamps has been completely shielding the squad from this sort of thing. In fact, yeah. I think I think his greatest ability is, I mean, if you go into this World Cup, actually, that World Cup, I remember thinking, I think we were discussing, Andy, around, around the summer, even in the last few months, that there was the very least potential for France to have a 2010 campaign. So yeah. many injuries, so many potential tensions, given the, you know, the story but you know about Pogba and Kylian Mbappe. So much of this going on. The, the way the Benzema withdrawal was handled. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But yeah, Deschamps' great strength is, and everyone will say this, is that he, he just, he's no matter what's going on, he can rally the squad towards a focal point, uh, which is, which is success. So from that perspective, I don't think it'll be an issue at all. And under Deschamps, even though I would have criticisms of how he plays or maybe his vision of football, all of that, but under Deschamps and with that, with him overseeing uh, a French football structure that is probably the most fertile in the world right now in terms of the amount of players it produces, it does feel like France have become a little bit like, say, what Germany were in the 80s and 90s and that they mightn't win every tournament but they're always going to be go late. They're, they're, they're mm. almost kind of like your default finalist right now. Feels as well. Um, well, this is a tweet from John, and he has reminding us about the one of the central figures in this conversation, Zinedine Zidane. Feels like the focus will then shift to him because John's question is, surely Zidane can't stay out of management till 2026 to wait for the France job. And the prospect of him getting that France job hasn't gone away, has it? No, not totally. And I think his supporters will definitely point out the manner in which Deschamps was given this contract extension. Um, As I said, I I think, I I, I tend to think contracts for international coaches are kind of notional. If something goes wrong at a major tournament, you will go anyway. It, It doesn't really matter if you've got Two or three and if it goes left. well, it'll be extended. Generally. Yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. So I don't think we can really look beyond Euro 2024 for Didier Deschamps. In the meantime, 
I don't think he's off the table that Zinedine Zidane doesn't take another job. You know, he's a, a family guy. He's quite happy to live life at his own pace. Um, and, and, and that's, that's, that's been the case either, either side of the world cup. There are a few jobs that could tempt him. I think when you're looking at it, like how many jobs are long-term enough that taking a job now would prevent him from taking over <laughs> from Didier Deschamps in yeah. the future? They're, they're, they're just not. I mean, I, th I think you have to look at PSG again because um, Christophe Galtier, like any PSG coach, has stuff to prove as he, as he goes along. I think the Juventus job is one to watch. Even though yeah. Max Allegri is doing a brilliant job there at the moment, who knows what will be the fallout of the financial allegations and um, the, 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 um, they're, they're going under at the, the moment and the investigations that they're going under at the moment as Nicky detailed last week. So the thing is with Zidane, I don't think he needs to coach. He would like to coach at the right job, but that's why there's this sense of him waiting for France because he's always waiting for the right job. The amount of jobs he gets offered yeah. and the ones that he would actually consider doing, mm. there's a huge lag between between that. Yeah, you, you do wonder why he's unemployed for any period. Because, because he wants because to be. Because yeah. he can be. What, what, a, what a way to be able to live your life, isn't it? <laughs> a, a legend to everything. He, I mean, whatever the questions about him as a coach and how responsible he was for those Champions League, he still won them. <laughs> a legend, everything he touches turns they can take jobs. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's amazing. Yeah. On, on the other hand, what you were saying, Dotton, before about Mbappe being the first to come out and what you were saying, mm. Miguel, about him leading from the front, I think the, the, the timing is really everything. And especially in this week when um, PSG played in the, in the Coupe de France last weekend, as all of, all of France did, one at Chateau Roux, their former, their former nursery club, and it's it's funny, without Messi at that point, without Neymar and without him, because he was on holiday, him and Ashraf Hakimi, obviously. As we discussed. Um, it, the, the team that they played at Chateau Roux, it was almost as if Mbappe had picked it. You know, uh, you, you look at the, the teenagers who played, led by uh, Warren Zaire Emery, 16 years old, who was fantastic in in midfield and Galtier said 16. this week I, he said I would I would pick him for uh, to start in the Champions League game and and that is all about pleasing Mbappe it's all about playing into his vision now this is particularly interesting of course because who's come back and played in the game against Angers in the league in the week Leo Messi World Cup winner so it comes back and actually I, I mean admittedly Angers are terrible and bottom and going down without a doubt but he scores in his first game back he looks enthusiastic, played really well. Of course he should be. He just won a World Cup. Well, I, I don't know, because other players would have come back from a World Cup partied out, I think it's, it's, it's fair to say. But, you know, people have always asked, and in, in fact, Tim Vickery, our, our friend Tim Vickery was asking, you know, what sort of second half of the season will we get out of um, Messi now he's achieved everything he wants to do? And clearly, some of that appetite is still there. But whether it extends into next season into staying at PSG because there's like a broad agreement on a contract, but nothing's been signed yet. It's a really interesting question, isn't it? And Neymar is third fiddle all over again. Yeah. And almost a different, I mean, when you, when you compare the three of them, it's almost articulated by the World Cup, isn't it? Messi obviously has one of the, one of the great World Cups and this kind of moment of career completion. Mbappe, I mean, he was essentially 
if if Messi was kind of the senior figure of the World Cup, Mbappe was this electricity running through it. He's become mm. he's become like Ronaldo. I mean, when I, when I went to those French French games, you're almost waiting for the moment where Mbappe gets the ball in ten meters of space and just runs because I think it's the most electrifying sight in football at the moment. And if if you look at if you look at the numbers in terms of yeah. the actual running that he does, it's he's actually lying in wait, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. He's just waiting for yeah, that moment. Yeah. And then you've got Neymar, who, I mean, from speaking to people who know a lot about the Brazil camp, apparently this debate erupted over whether he should have been taken off against Croatia. Because I know he scored the goal, but that came at the, co- at the cost of the team cohesion. It, the, 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 the thing is, he's, he's such a hard worker and he's not really credited for that. But that World Cup was basically his last yeah, four no. years in microcosm. Yeah. And his, his body can't do it. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is a real concern at thirty. So when you when you say like, how can this be his last World Cup at, at thirty? I, I think that was his last World now, Cup. The only thing about that is he Neymar is apparently personally obsessed with breaking America. Mm. Uh, so from that perspective, playing in the US in, in uh, twenty twenty six could be very important to him. Yeah, Messi, of course. We want to pay a tribute of some sort to Gianluca Vialli. Um, of course, many of the tributes over this side of the water have been about him uh, playing for Chelsea. I wonder what the perspective is in Italy, where arguably he's an even bigger footballing star. Yeah, huge. And um, associated with a particular time in Italian football as well. Of course, he's contributed recently as part of the staff of Italy's Euro 2020 winners. Um, but we saw the, the tributes all over, but, but particularly the very emotional tributes at um, Sampdoria as they played Napoli on Sunday and uh, Juventus when they played Udinese earlier in the weekend. And I mean, thinking of how Viali links various strands of Italian football, um, seeing those tributes at Sampdoria, because we associate him with that great Samp team mm-hmm. that won Serie A in, 91 that got to the European Cup final at Wembley in 92 where they lost to Barcelona in extra time the relationship between him and Roberto Mancini which ties up the whole Euro 2020 thing and yeah. I, th- I think we have to spare a thought actually for Mancini because he's lost two very close friends in the last month in Viali yeah. and Sinita Mihailovic there, there was there was also a tribute to him at, at, at Samp as well because um, he, he died during the World Cup he passed on uh, December 16th Um but the th- I think the reason that Viali touched so many people in Italy is not just because he was associated with great teams. Uh, of course, Juventus winning the Champions League under Lippi a, a little bit later on. But he was a guy who grew up in a 60-room mansion in Cremona. Yeah. And, you know, could have lived a totally different life. But it wasn't just about the acrobatic goals that he scored and the number of goals that he scored. And the way linked with Mancini, who really was the flair player of the, mm. the, the the two. You know, he was one that really captured the imagination. Viali was the hardest working player. Yeah. I think a lot of Italians have ever seen. He put everything in. And in the end, he felt, I mean, it never quite happened with him, for, for him, with the Italian national team. It was one of the, the, the points of Italia 90, that he starts in the Italy team. And in the, in, in the end, Toto Scalacci, he, he has that moment and... Um, Viali gets edged out, and and that that hurt him quite quite deeply. He felt um, he was he was treated as a workhorse, and 
you know, what was his strength was used really as a, a stick to beat him. But it's, it's a reason why people loved him so much because he was a man who came from everything. Yeah. Who played like he was fighting to, to, just, to just keep going, to get a foothold in it. Yeah. I, I interviewed him a few years ago, actually, and, it was in, and that, that was actually about uh, a program he got involved in, which is, and the entire motivation behind it was to start giving power back to fans in football. Mm. Um, and, it, and it kind of speaks to what we're talking about, where he did have this uh, very communal touch from, as you say, a man that was from the ultimate privilege, pretty much, and in so many senses, came from extreme wealth, was hitting his peak in a league that allowed a greater wealth for footballers that had never been seen in Serie A in the 90s then of course becomes a big figure in England uh, and yet despite that had this what, what everyone says and what comes across as uh, human and, and very gentlemanly touch um, and then of course that that's I mean even though yeah he, he was uh, a workhorse as a forward it was that workhorse translated into as you, as you put it so many acrobatic goals and and also so many spectacular goals and and the one that it's been shown a fair bit over the last few days but the ones I always I mean Nicky this is probably much more true for Nicky but I was of course very much a child for of uh, Gazzetta and, Ita- and Football Italia <laughs> in the 90s and all that but the one I always remember more than any other is that volley against Parma in the UEFA Cup that, yeah. me, that was vintage Viali for me uh, the, the way he caught it and he, <laughs> I think I, I, I apologies to whoever tweeted it but I think what I it's someone I, I can't remember who it was but the line was when you think of a yeah it's almost like he's perpetually volleying the ball on the bounce yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> smashing a pass athletic as you were saying yeah. earlier Andy of course Viali wasn't just a footballer he was also a coach wasn't he he had the potential to be a great coach and I suppose to a certain extent the highlight of his coaching career was not as the first coach but as the support coach for the Italian team at Euro 2020. Well, it was it was more emotional support. He was uh, almost a, a general manager, really, to Italy at that point. And when we talk about the closeness with Mancini, which started when they played together at Sampers as, as very young men, what he provided for Mancini at Euro 2020 was 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 huge. And, um, you, you know, I, th- I think you look at the, the other members of the staff, there's a very strong staff, Ivani involved as as, as well. And Viali was a, a huge, huge part of that. Um, I, I think as as well, so many people were pleased for him because at that point he'd, he'd come back from illness. Um, he, was, uh, he, he was, he was doing it in England where he'd been so successful and where he'd, he lived for, for, for so many years as, as well. But I think understanding the relationship between him and Mancini is, is, is important. That's what ties it all together. Because, you know, Italy uh, had a lot of expectation because they'd failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. They failed to qualify for the next World Cup. But in creating what Mancini had been looking for for, for so long, Viali was a, a huge part of that because Italy played like international teams tend not to play really with great freedom, mm. great flair with a lack of fear that they almost played like, I suppose you could say it's re- reflective of modern Serie A and the fact that that's played with a great freedom yeah. now nowadays, but it, it felt almost like Halcyon era 
Serie A, the way they played in, in, in Euro 2020. And I think, I think it was such a positive thing for, for football, actually. The way that Italy won Euro 2020, obviously there'll be a lot of England fans listening who, who, who don't agree with that. But I think the fact that they didn't bore their way to a title, like so many other teams have, and we know who they are, Portugal, Greece, France, et cetera, et cetera. They did it by playing without fear, by playing with bravery, which, of course, was a huge part of Viali's character as well as Mancini's. Yeah, uh, Gianluca Viali, who was a gentleman off the pitch, I think it's fair to say, as well. In 1996, Viali and Juventus lift the European Cup. It's time to ask both of you to recommend a game of the week for us to enjoy uh, over the next couple of days. Miguel, do you, do you have one for us? And a uh, food pairing uh, as well. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a few this weekend. I mean, I was tempted to go for the Basque derby, but the one that really stands out, especially with what happened with the return to football, is uh, Napoli Juventus. It just has to be. I mean, and it's even as, as Andy just mentioned there a few moments ago, Juventus returned to football, almost this real resilience about the team under Allegri. They will love nothing better than potentially destabilizing this whole Napoli run after that defeat. Inter, it's certainly a huge question of Napoli um, to to bounce back. Because I suppose the big the big question with Napoli throughout this whole season is what, what because it did feel like they were playing on a wave. So what happens when the wave breaks? How mm. how you recover it? And this often happens with teams in this situation. They don't lose one; they lose two in a row because it's almost like a shock to the system. And to have to have Inter, sorry, to have Juventus after Inter. I mean, already even even the way the fixtures fell for them were mm. so challenging. And I think it's a really fascinating game that I will watch with uh, a cannoli. <laughs> <laughs> with so much jeopardy, only yeah. a cannoli. The, the, th- <laughs> the thing is, Friday night Napoli Juventus, especially uh, San Paolo or Diego Maradona, always reminds me of if we go back like. Five years, maybe? Um, long-term OTC listeners might remember that, um, that they had Napoli-Juventus arranged for a Friday night. This was when Sally was still coach of, of, of Napoli. It was a huge game. And it was when the first series of Gomorra, the Italian or the, the Neapolitan crime drama, was out. Very popular. Ran for five series. And um, a lot of uh, Napoli ultras really... Um, chimed with that and the new episode was due out while they were still at the football <laughs> so basically they all protested and for that one week only Gamora was put back to, to start I think it was half past 11 yes. that, that, that night which yeah. I thought was fantastic no such clash this time but <laughs> it, it is all still available on your on demand services and what about your game of the week um, I'm going to go for the Lisbon Derby 6pm okay. on um, uh, Sunday night well Sunday evening uh, Benfica versus um, Sporting. Good week for Benfica. They've not been exactly fluent since they've come back from the World Cup and they've had to deal with the whole Enzo Fernandes situation, taking us back to where we started with Chelsea. It now looks less likely that um, Enzo will go this month, although I don't think he's completely dead, not for one minute. But he came back, um, played uh, Varzim in the... Um, Tasta Portugal, the Portugal Cup, uh, Portuguese Cup in the week, scored, looked happy, 
tapped the badge when he scored as well. And of course, Roger Schmidt, who's been very vocal on the saga, said um, at, at, the, at the start of the, the window when Chelsea were doing what they were doing, he was quite forthright and said that he felt Enzo had been manipulated. He also said in subsequent days, we need Enzo if we're going to go on to win the league. Now they've got themselves in a, a good position, especially with Porto dropping points last weekend. Sporting have got a struggle on it if they're going to make the top three of the Champions League. So they need to start winning some games. So why don't you think that Enzo deal is dead in the water? Three weeks left. And, you know, Chelsea have taken a position where they they suggested they would pay the release clause to the extent where they suggested they might pay over the release clause to have the right to pay it in increments rather than pay it all up front. And then sort of took a little step back and and, and withdrew on that. I, I think depending on how well Chelsea do or don't do, and he would add an enormous amount to their midfield over the next couple of weeks. In the last week of the transfer window, anything could happen. On form, it has to be Benfica. But Edwards is a player who can turn any game, I think. And after getting through all that, it only has to be, like Miguel, I'm going for a, 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 a brief snack. You've got, you've got to go for a, a Bifana, the old Portuguese steak sandwich. The Football Ramble is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 